This is the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens. And I'm Chris Lambert. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us today, and we hope that as you set aside this time for God, that He will help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. The research has shown us that up to 40% of our daily activities are dictated by our unconscious habits. When I first learned this, I was a bit shocked, and yet it excited me because of all of the possibilities that new habit formation held, especially when it comes to the realm of spiritual formation. I realized after reading a book by Charles Duhigg, The Power of Habit, that we could intentionally manipulate our habits and daily routines in order to build our lives in such a way that we naturally, habitually follow Jesus. And that's why I'm really excited to be talking to Justin early today, because the work that he's done in The Common Rule focuses a lot about creating specific habits that lead us to spiritual formation. Justin Early has a Juris Doctorate from Georgetown University and is the creator of The Common Rule, a program of habits designed to form us in the love of God and neighbor. He's also a mergers and acquisitions lawyer in Richmond, Virginia. He previously spent several years in China as the founder and general editor of the Urbanity Project and as the director of Thought and Culture Shapers, a nonprofit organization dedicated to serving the community through arts. He and his wife, Lauren, have four sons and live in Richmond, Virginia. The thing I like the most about Justin is that he's a corporate lawyer, and he's doing this work with the common rule as a service to that vocation, because he recognized that even though he wasn't in, quote, a professional ministry position, that his vocation was given to him by God, and he must steward that properly. And cultivating this common rule in his life became an essential part of working and living in the kingdom of God so that he could affect and influence those around him. So in this first chapter, we're really going to dive in to more of Justin's story, specifically about how that all works with him being a corporate lawyer and the need for these habits and routines called the common rule. Justin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm so glad to be here. I thought a good place to begin would be just to talk about what led you to write the book, The Common Rule, Habits of Purpose for an Age of Distraction. Failure. My own personal failure is what, is what led me to write this book. Um, the way that happened was I was a missionary in China for almost five years, and then I had an experience where I felt the Lord calling me to, to be a missionary within law and business. So I moved back to the, to the U.S. and did law school and began a career in business lawyering, so mergers and acquisitions to be specific. And this whole time I had um, in my head, and uh, I would say even in my heart, this Christian calling to what I was doing. Um, but what I did not realize at the time was that while I had this internal mission and a belief of what, what I was doing, the architecture of my life, specifically the habits, the rhythms, the routines of my life were, were just like everybody else's. I had in a sense assimilated to the American, you know, high pressure, high paced context of law school and big law firms. 
And it was working for me because I graduated at the top of my class. I got a really good job at a top law firm and et cetera. But I did not realize that it was kind of like a car going 90 miles an hour. The, the engine starts to shake and eventually it falls apart. And that's what's ha- that's what happened to me. Um, so I tell you what, what that looked like was um, shortly into my law career, I, I basically woke up one night with a panic attack. I didn't have words for it then. I was just sweating and shaking. My heart rate was up in bed. I told my wife about it, but there was nothing much to talk about. I tried to go back to sleep and I did that night, but the next night it happened again. And so I was up for two nights in a row before I finally go to the hospital and asked the doctor, what's wrong with me? And they just said, you have clinical anxiety, which was so anticlimactic because I thought something was really wrong. And, um, you know, they sent me home with sleeping pills and I just went into a really dark phase of life where I could not sleep without medicating either with sleeping pills or, um, wine to fall asleep. And, and that's when I encountered the sticky question of, um, how did, how did the missionary get converted? Right. Cause I had come to bring the gospel to bear in this profession and what had happened is it had converted me to the nervous medicating lawyer. What led you to go into missions? I want to back up a little bit and start. How did you get called into missions or what led you um, to China in the first place? Um, that was, you know, there, there are two times where I felt the Lord has really call, specifically called me to do things. And the first was when I felt him call me to China. And the second was when I felt him call me back. So everything else in my life has been more or less a product of decision-making is it a good idea, but there was, you know, to, to be honest, I, I, I knew people from my college at UVA going to do ministry in China and they had invited me to consider it, but I had an experience in prayer one day where I sort of asked the Lord, is this something you want me to do? And it was strongly answered. And so I felt like the Lord was saying, um, this is what you should do with, with your life. And that's so unusual. Again, most of my decisions He's not been that clear with me, but I, I felt laid hold of. And so I felt, you know, I knew it probably wouldn't be a lifetime thing, but I decided that I should, I should listen to him and go to China and share the gospel with Chinese students. And so that's what I did for a couple of years. Yeah. And I love, I love the story that even once you, you followed God's call to be a missionary, and yet he could still call you on to something else. I think too much we get stuck in that professional vocational ministry is always the end goal of God's calling us. And you're saying that the end of your story was not that. And he called you into that, of course, but then called you into uh, the law side of things to become a lawyer yeah. and to deal with things. Could you talk a little bit more about what specifically led you, um, led to that calling? And then how, how yeah. has that been, like, what's your vision for that now in your profession? Oh, I, okay. I love answering this question. So I, I went to China. The reason I was excited that the Lord called me to China was because I did, I, I, I did want to see the world changed by the good news of Jesus. I mean, I, I, he's changed my life and he's what we all need. He's the key. He's the logos. And so I was passionate about seeing my neighbors and my neighbors in China come to know the key to life. What I found in China was that while verbal proclamation of the gospel is really, really important, there are other forces at play 
that shape who we are and make us more or less likely to heed the words of the gospel or to be able to understand them. And so what I came to understand in China specifically was that there was specific political and economic pressures that were forming people into um, you know, it's communist atheists that had a certain view of who God was. And I, I started to realize, oh, this is really important. And this is not only really important in China. This is happening in America, too. We, we have a vision of freedom. We have a vision of capitalism that actually defines a lot of our ultimate values. And anyone, anywhere will get caught up in these things. And they sometimes line up with the kingdom of God and they sometimes don't. And so I got really passionate about saying, how can we also need missionaries to these structures? We need to be reshaping these structures to look more like the kingdom of God so that people can live the way that they were meant to live and believe the things they were meant to believe. And I just felt like that was my call as a missionary now to, to, to bring that influence to bear within law and business. And so I, I was passionate about it. But again, I also felt the Lord called me to it. Yeah. And I think that's a really profound point is that being called as a missionary does not have to be to a geographic location or a specific people group, but we have forgotten entire professions and that God can call us into a profession to change the way the culture is lived there or the way that that entirely operates. Because, um, and you talk about it in the book, right? It's part of the process of, like you mentioned, being converted from the missionary into the, uh, corporate lawyer who yes. who'd become a little too caught up in maybe the American dream or the uh, the American way of life that's just yes. chaos and, and hectic. Could you talk maybe a little bit about that? Because you, you pointed it out, right? You see in China, they were being converted to communist atheists, and, and we might have the op- opposite problem where we're American Christians, but that doesn't necessarily right. mean that we're being Christian. Right. <laughs> yes. So there's a one way to summarize. I'm so glad you're asking these questions because one way to summarize how this book came to be was slow realizations that missions and formation are everywhere and ubiquitous. And the first one for me was realizing that I could, I, as a Christian, I'm called to be a missionary, whether to unreached people in China or to law and business, as in every Christian is essentially an ambassador for Christ. We are all missionaries and should understand our lives as such. Then the next tier of realization, and this was really important, after coming back to America and being completely changed by the environment of law school, the professional world, trying to earn my identity through lawyering, that's when I had this next really important realization that they are missionaries too. The, the, the people that we work for, live under, live next to, they also want to, they don't call themselves missionaries, but they are. People are always trying to convince us of what to believe. And if they're not, and, and a lot of people are very specific about that. Here's what you should believe politically, environmentally, you know, culturally, et cetera. But even when they're not specific, every profession, every neighborhood, every friend group that you're in, every church that you're in has a culture and culture cultivates. Culture changes what the values that you have. They, it, it, it affects you. And so what I started to realize was that I was the one who wanted to form the world, but the warm world wants to form me back. And in that sort of whirlpool of formation, you just can't, there is no neutrality. There is no stillness. You can't not move. The world is a world of formation. And the question for me became, okay, if I want to be a missionary to law and business, 
then I need to be attentive to my own formation so that I can be the kind of disciple of Jesus that resists the formation of the world that I'm in and as a missionary actually forms it instead. And this is, this is not unique to me. This is the fundamental question of all our lives. How do we stay formed in the gospel of Jesus so that we can reach out to our neighbors and love and form them? That's a great question. That, that is that is so good, and 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 that speaks to the point of what we're trying to do with daily growth discipleship is in our own way answer that question how we do go about that. What have you done, or, or how do you go about approaching that um, from from the corporate side of things? Uh, because Josh and I live in we we're, we're we're in Springfield, Missouri, and we like to talk about the Assemblies of God bubble here that we we kind of live in, and it's the okay. it's the Bible Belt buckle and, and all of that sort of stuff. So we feel like we kind of live in our own little bubble. So it's really fascinating to talk to somebody like you who's out there in the corporate world. How do you see that taking place um, specifically of you influencing that culture? And, and then we'll come back, don't worry, to how that culture yeah. overtook you and then what you had to do to uh, to correct it. But what's your ultimate vision for that? Yeah, well, they're intertwined. So, but the ultimate vision, I think, is to understand that we are bearers of the image of God, created to to work in the world, created created to um, rule over the creation that God loves and wants to redeem. And so, when I think just about the profession of lawyering, for example. The profession of lawyering, and everybody needs to do this. Everybody needs to understand what's the story of their vocation. So for mine, the profession of lawyering ideally is attempting to protect and re-knit shalom and justice into a world that's broken. So ideally, if we do our jobs right, transactions are fair because we negotiate on both sides of them. If we do our jobs right, um, criminals are punished but then restored. If we do our jobs right, you know, innocent people are acquitted. Um, now, it is just it is actually awkward to say all of what I just said because the legal system is so broken in the United States, so broken. So it's we are not doing a good job of it. And, you know, there's so much criminal justice reform that we need. But even from my side, just in the corporate, I, I'm a business lawyer. I think a lot about, you know, how how do I contribute to the flourishing of um industry? How do I contribute to the flourishing of new businesses, people that are doing good things in the world? How do I contribute to, we get a little technical here, but to, you know, de-risking systems so that people can have fair, smooth, efficient transactions. I mean, these things are what employs people, puts food on, you know, children's table and gives you mothers and fathers who are like whole people who work and have shalom. So, you know, part of that is you, you have to root your vocation in the story of God's vocation. And you have to understand how it stems from Genesis, how it's impacted by the fall, how Jesus is reworking your vocation for good and what, and, and see the vision of your vocation in the end. So that, that's the big picture. It gets really specific to lawyering, but every, everybody should, I think, think about that big picture for their job. Which is so tough to do when your entire perspective of how the Christian life works is something that you do on Sunday to kind of prep you for the rest of your week where you're not doing your Christian life and then you come back to church on Sunday again. Yeah, that's a um, a miserable way to live because you miss out on the glory of what God is doing in the world. I mean, there is so much glory to, you know, he he loves your profession more than you do. And he he has, uh, you know, an enormous vision for it. And when we have a really small vision for it, 
or when we listen to our professions and some of them just say, we're just here to make money. We're just here to get an identity. We're just here to feel important. We're just here to, you know, toil away the nine to five. We, we miss out. And, you know, that's, that's a sad thing to me. I'll tell you how this ties in to the personal habits, because I think that's really important. I mean, what I found was if you have this big vision for your vocation, as I suggest everybody should if they're reading the, the Bible, you, you get tied up in it and you get really excited about it and you actually start to expend a lot of your energy on it. And that's what happened to me. I was so excited about sort of bringing this call to bear on lawyering that I just thought I, well, I got to be the best lawyer possible. I got to you know, do all the extra resume stuff. And, you know, and that led to the collapse that I told you about. And so what I didn't really appreciate is that in that call to any culture, whether it's a, you know unreached people group or a vocation, it's going to work back on you. And so what happened in the middle of my collapse was, and thank God for community, because my wife and my close friends were very near, near to me. And they, they sort of laid down the law and they said, you need to introduce some limiting habits into your life to govern you because you're going 90 miles an hour and you're, and you're falling apart. And I was, I mean, I was in terrible failure and some moral failure, right? I was you know, I wasn't abusing. It's important to distinguish my story. I'm not an alcoholic. You know, I wasn't abusing pills or alcohol, but I was dependent on them to rest and sleep, which was a huge red flag. And what they did, what what I did is I sat down with my friends one night and um, there was a program of habits on the table that said, you know, and I asked them, would you keep me accountable to these things? And they were little things like, let's turn off my phone for an hour or two every day. Let's start the day in scripture, not in work emails. Make sure we Sabbath one day a week. Um, I did not think any of these little things would matter that much because I had no idea how much the smallest and mundane, the most ordinary habits actually affect our souls in the most extraordinary and deep ways. And my life was drastically changed. And a, a couple months in, I not only said, wait, I'm going to pay a lot more attention to these little habits and I'm going to keep doing them. But I also started almost furiously researching why, why were they mattering so much? And that's what led to, you know, a couple of years of thinking about this, asking other people to join in to these programs of habits. And then eventually one day, uh, two years ago now, I put out a little PDF called a, a common rule of life, inviting people to live according to these habits. And that's when the forwarding started. That's when the blogging about it started, which eventually led to the book. Because I had no idea how thirsty most of us are for a sensible way to arrange our days and weeks. I, I had no idea that I was not unique. I thought I was weird. Now I see that the, our modern moment has completely disoriented people's day-to-day lives. And they, we all sort of are looking out there saying, like, help. Like, how do I organize my schedule? How do I make a life that is not best described by busy, anxious, overwhelmed, or stressed? How do I make a life that's actually described by purpose, peacefulness, the kind of words that actually come from the gospel of peace, you know, the gospel of purpose. Yeah, we've spent so much time chasing after freedom and instant gratification, which we think is the thing that we want, that, you know, we we sort of fall into the chaos, and then we accept that as the way of life, like you're talking about. So then when we're shown that maybe there is a like a limiting way of life can actually lead to freedom. You talk about this in mm-hmm. the book. It's like, right. it's like a breath of fresh air. You know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, that is, <laughs> that's what I need. 
So I hope that you have found Justin's story as inspiring and as helpful as I have, because it really underscores how important it is to understand our vocational calling that God has led us to, and to take in as much passion and commitment to that vocation as possible. But just simply wanting it and wanting to do good at it isn't enough. We also have to set certain routines and habits that are going to enable us to serve in that vocation to our greatest extent. And sometimes that means limiting ourselves in certain areas of life. So I hope that Justin's story has resonated with you and causes you to pause today and say, what is my vocation? How am I using my daily work to serve the kingdom of God? And am I allowing God to use me in that situation to expand his kingdom. Thanks for listening to the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's happening at Daily Growth, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. Or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.